Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now we're going to get into today's episode. This is going to be about fearless wealth. And fear and wealth seem to be two things that go together. I know so many business creators out there who actually have a fear of being wealthy, a fear of success. And they hear this stuff about putting their money to work for them and having conversations in a relationship with their money and how do we invest it, whether it's in the business or in the market or wherever we go with it, whether you're reinvesting it in your venture, whether you're uh, working with a certified financial planner or somebody like that. We are going to disambiguate a lot of these and hopefully give you some courage so you can be fearless in pursuit of your wealth. Today, we have with us a guest that we have been looking forward to having on this show for a while now, and I'm so happy that we were able to pin him down and get him to spend a few moments with us to share with you. His name is R.C. Peck, and let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a certified financial planner, which is a CFP. He's a registered investment advisor and a master NLP practitioner. That got the antenna up. R.C. Peck is also the author of Fearless Wealth, Simple Steps to Growing and Harvesting Money, something I encourage you to check out. Fearless Wealth is a San Francisco-based investment education company that delivers unique workshops, trainings, and presentations to the public and companies worldwide. R.C.'s passion is giving people the facts, the tools, and the specific steps necessary to become self-sufficient at managing and understanding their money. However, R.C.'s approach is not one one might expect, as you're about to discover. He starts where people look last, at themselves. And he believes that growing one's money has to start with one's behaviors about money. As I said, we're going to take the fear out of the wealth and get you toward your fearless wealth. So standing right there by the side, come in, R.C. Peck. The weather's fine. <laughs> it's good to, have, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Now, right now, I know we have some listeners who are tuning in and leaning in, and they've opened up separate browser tabs, and they are binging the Yahoo out of the Googles, discovering more about this guy named R.C. Peck, which is spelled pretty much how you hear it. R.C., last name P-E-C-K. You're welcome. And going to his website, fearlesswealth.com. So while they're doing that and they're listening to Business Creators Radio on their first browser tab or through their smartphone or however they access their podcast, what we like to do is our listeners know, R.C., what I'd like is if you could tell us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and making a difference for your community, market, and audience. You know, to talk about me is, or to understand about me is probably to talk first about my dyslexia. Um, now, I didn't know I had dyslexia. Um, I'm 48. And growing up in the Midwest in Illinois and not knowing 
that my brain thinks in pictures and not words or letters or sentences or paragraphs or pages or chapters um, really made me question everything by default because on one hand, I felt stupid. I don't know how to spell sky. S-K-I? Wait, ski? Wait, how are ski and sky one letter? Wait, isn't an I a Y? Yeah. And this was an actual word I had to spell in fourth grade. And I just remember feeling so stupid and yet also feeling, I know I'm not stupid, but why do I keep getting feedback like I'm stupid, like I can't spell a three-letter word? And so growing up and even teenage years and in, even into my 20s, there was this this, this cognitive dis, dissonance, like I knew I wasn't dumb and yet society kind of said I was dumb through these, these tests or these measurements, so the SAT or the ACT. And it turns out that my brain thinks in pictures. I don't think in words or letters. I, I think in images. And so do other people. Probably about 10 or 15% of the world are, have brains that think in images. Um, right. But I didn't know this. And so I come at investing in kind of the same way. Like I question everything, not to be difficult, not to be a cynic, but I come to investing or money from a point of view of, well, I want to see the picture. Well, show me the picture. Well, I need to see a picture of it. And I don't mean a page with a bunch of numbers. I mean an actual picture. And so I taught you know, I was taught that you have to think and your age matters with investing and you've got to read this stuff and you've got to know this fundamental information. I was taught all this stuff, but it turns out training yourself to open up your eyes and actually know how to build a picture so you can go, oh, absolutely do not want to be in that investment. And that's how our brains are actually designed, whether you're a dyslexic or not. They're designed to look at patterns. I said look, not hear patterns or feel patterns or read patterns, but actually see patterns in the tall grasses in the plains of Africa. Like we are, right. we, we, our brains still today, they are designed to see things. That means eyes open. And so when you ask that question, I came at it maybe as a cynic, but I didn't mean to. And then I became a skeptic. And that's what I train people to do, literally to open their eyes and go, okay, but what does that look like? And can you verify it? So it's kind of a very different approach. Yes, I grew up in the Midwest. Yes, you know, I'm the youngest of three kids. But really a big defining factor was the, the, the dyslexia. And the other thing is my parents, and I'm not saying this arbitrarily or, 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 oh, by the way, is my parents had their life savings embezzled by their financial advisor. Wow. And I was a freshman in college. I had two sisters in college. And I came home from a college break. And my parents were in the family room next to each other crying and I thought for sure one of my two sisters was dead because I had never seen them next to each other in this situation. And I, I said, yeah. is Tara or Tanya? Is it Tanya or Tara? Which one? Which one? Which one? And they're like, they're fine. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'm like, oh, it must be a grandparent. But this didn't look like grandparent tears. <laughs> um, and then they said, we lost 
our money was stolen. Yay. Um, they, they found the guys, two guys, had a financial advise, advising firm in Illinois. They went to prison. Uh, no one got their money back. They stole everybody's money, not just my parents. And so I am, I am skeptical, right? I'm a heretic when it comes to finance. I want choices. And the, the Greek root of the word heretic is choice. And the church did not want people to have a choice 500 years ago. So if someone chose a different choice, they were heretics and they died. So I'm, I'm a financial heretic. Wow. You know, um, I'm, I have some familiarity with the concept of dyslexia. I used to know somebody who was severely dyslexic and I saw, I had a clue the first time they ever wrote something to me, sent me an email and I could see the challenges they had with like, as you described sky versus ski and how they would make very common misspellings of words. And they told me that uh, it was really challenging for them to send me a simple email. And that sort of opened my eyes for lack of a better phrase to the concept of dyslexia and what that means. And one of the other stories that inspires me, it's the actor Kenny Johnson, uh, who played in The Shield and some other shows. He is also dyslexic, and that was a real challenge for him uh, growing his acting career, because when you act in television shows, you need to not only be able to memorize and be able to act on scripts, but because there's usually a five-day turnaround to complete the episode, you got to do it quick. So if your mind is thinking in pictures, you got to remember the words, that can slow down production. It can make it frustrating to get into your character if you're a method actor so that you can become that person and make the role very visceral and real to the viewer. And just everyday communication can be very tough, was particularly when it's in writing, and particularly some of us who see the words like, like I do. I actually see words as I speak them. I actually saw the phrase, see words as I speak them, as I said it just now. So I have, I don't want to say the opposite, but I have like that trans, that teleprompter view that someone who's dyslexic doesn't have. So I appreciate the challenge around that and how that can really be an impediment, especially if you're looking to become fearless and understand wealth. I've got to commend you especially being a certified financial planner, because I'm not a CFP myself, but I've had clients who are CFPs. I have a CFP of my own. And I know that a fair amount of that work, correct me if I'm wrong, has to do with understanding graphs and charts and being able to look at trends that are often in spreadsheet form. And when your mind's translating that into pictures, how do you advise your clients? Well, I do less advising and more training. Uh So, but let's just stick with the word advising. So one thing I would say to them is, uh, usually what I'm saying to them is, you can come up with a much better question. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because they'll they'll ask uh, maybe a standard question. And as I train them to think in pictures, it's amazing by how, their questions like you know we all want the answers but really what we really want is to know what the right questions are right i mean yeah. we're taught man the guy that the guy or gal has the right 
answers. I got all the answers. No, it's actually knowing the right questions. So I train them to think more like a scientist. Scientists are interested in what's the right question, right? Where a doctor wants to know the answers, just tell me the answer. And so my advice to them and is to say, okay, start with a picture. What does the picture look like? And there's only three things an investment can do on this planet, up, down, or I don't know. And when you chunk it down to that, all of a sudden the brain goes, oh, this is an I don't know. Oh, well, these are the steps you do when it's an I don't know. And I'll give you one quick example. Had a new training client, and we were just joking around. He goes, show me in two minutes or less how I can be an expert on CNBC. Wow. Because I, I was joking. I'm like, I can teach anyone. I can train anybody to be an expert on TV in, in minutes, single-digit minutes. I said, okay, give me a topic. He goes, um, Uber and Lyft. <laughs> all right. And so I said, all right. And in two minutes, I, I showed him visually with those two companies how he could tell which one was doing better. And I said, this is how you do it. And he understood all the steps because I had trained him on the individual steps. And I just showed him how if you string these four steps together, you could go on any show right now in the country and say and have legitimate reasons why you'd say Lyft is absolutely doing better. Here is my third party verifiable proof. And everyone would go, oh, you're right. That, you're right. Lyft is doing better. But I thought it was doing worse. Well, here's the, here's the proof. I mean, like, not opinionated proof, like verifiable third-party type proof. And so to train someone to do that in minutes is, is no different than saying, okay, look, if something's running at you with really big teeth, you probably should turn and run. Yeah. Okay, like that doesn't take long to train someone in that. Or you go, but if it's a bear, you actually have to not run. You have to actually stand still. Now, that might be a little harder to train, but the point is it's a training around visual. It's not a training around, well, you know, what's the fundamental feeling of the bear? It's like it's instant. So – it's 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 a good question about the advice, but the advice is around really how does it, how does it look? Let's get let's get to let's open your eyes, and let's get this down to a point where your brain is almost immediate with the answer. That's interesting. Now, I the only bear I've ever seen up close. My brother-in-law is a hunter, and he has a full-size bear trophy in his man cave. That's the only bear I've ever seen. Uh, so I don't have a firsthand experience of being out in the wild or being out in the forest and seeing a bear. I remember when I used to live on the East Coast, there was a park I used to go to almost every day to do my daily jog. And we were told that there were bears in that forest and given instructions on what to do if you ever encounter a bear. I never saw one, but I've seen videos of bears and how big they are. So I, uh, it's not I, I have enough of a sense of it. And if I can, I can get a picture of the bear coming at me. If we're looking at, say, for example, a bear market that's coming at you, ready to eat you. So this is a good time, I think, to transition into one of the foundational principles you shared with me before we went live. Why is, let's look at my money, for instance. Why is my money, or what is my money trying to tell me? And why are, am I not able to hear it? 
Well, you've been taught to ignore it, right? Not, not because I know specifically, but we've been all taught to turn our backs. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I'm going to answer the question with the metaphor, but we can take the metaphor ver- out very quickly. Yeah. So we've been taught that the stock market is the ocean. Um, but now when you go to the beach, I don't want you to look at the ocean. I want you to turn your back to it and close your eyes. And so what happens is if you're at the beach and you hear waves crashing behind you, you, you kind of start to like your shoulders start to jerk and shrug and like, I don't know if it's a big wave or not. And this is a, this is a beach that has waves, but you've been taught to turn around and close your eyes. Yeah. So when you do that, you're literally turning away from what could hurt you. You are taught to do the same thing with your money and investing. Oh, hey, hey, just check it out. The investment world is so complicated and so confusing. And at any moment, the market could get cut in half. Any moment. So look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to ask the year you were born, right? Because it's your money and you think it's about you because we've taught you that. And then we're going to have you answer these 12 questions, right? To, so you get your self-described risk tolerance. And based on the year you were born and how you answered those 12 questions in the you know, office on the seventh floor, we're going to build a plan that completely ignores the ocean, that completely ignores the weather, that completely ignores the stock market, completely. Okay. Um, and you don't know what you don't know, right? So because – there isn't, there isn't this other option. And so you go, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're dressed nice. They've got the suits on. They've got the, the 10th floor. They talk in a lot of jargon that I don't know. Um, God, I guess I need to learn this jargon. Jargon, jargon, jargon. And then jargon, jargon. Oh, oh well, I, I, knew, I knew one of the jargons. And so what's, what happens is you're literally put on your heels, and you're taught to believe, you're taught to believe it's about the jargon. Now, I'm specifically saying jargon and not the actual words. And so you go, God, thank, thank goodness I have you who has overwhelmed and confused me to now swoop in as my hero to ask me the year I was born and these 12 questions. Now, that seems a little ridiculous. And yet that's exactly what's going on. And your money, what your money is saying is open your eyes, turn around, look at the ocean. It's fine. It's fine. Six knot winds, glassy, you know, water, blue skies. Yeah, but I'm 68 years old. Who cares? It's sailing time, right? Or 50 foot waves, black clouds. Yeah, but I'm 25. Who cares? You don't go out on the water when it's like that. We're taught to turn away, close our eyes, and ignore. So in answering your question, your money wants you to open your eyes. That's really interesting to think about. Uh, so there's a couple terminologies that we need to disambiguate here, and it has to do with the world that we're looking at when we look at our wealth. So how is the earnings world so different from the growth world? The earnings world is like killing an animal on the savanna, right? You go and you kill an animal and you live another week, right? Food in your belly, shelter, 
And earning is very much like killing the animal, right? Because you can have people who earn their whole life, right? But then when it gets to growing, it's a completely different skill set. Like there's nothing in our brain called, okay, um, take the wildebeest that I killed. And in, in 17 years at a 7% compounded annual growth rate, I'll be able to have, our brain doesn't do that. Our brain naturally doesn't kind of go past about a month as far as yeah. time. I mean, after about a month, it's right up against forever. Like two months out, two years out, 20 years out, 200 years out, the brain has all of those stacked almost on top of each other. And so what happens is, if someone has figured out the earnings world, and let's say figured out is six figures a year, like that's awesome, congratulations. But that figured outness does not help in the growing and protecting because the characteristics of earning, which just again, let's say has to do more with effort than not, they bring that effort more than not into the world of growing and they just mess everything up. Money does not care about effort. Now, that's true in both worlds, but it is especially true in the world of growing. No, no one ever grew their money well because they put so much effort into it. And there's actually an inverse relationship between how much effort and time someone puts in and how their money grows. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not necessarily a proponent of... Um, giving up investing. I'll just be passive. I'll just take the 50% hits every nine years. Okay. Because that's how it's done. Like that's, that's weird too. So they're very, very different skill sets and the earning skill set is not transferable. And you'll actually see it by people who they figured out how to make it hundreds, two, three, 400 a year. But when you meet them, they'll go, I, I can't stop. I don't know when I can acquire the choice to not work, right? It's a different skill set that they haven't been trained on. So they're, think of it this way. Earning money is like baseball and growing it is figure skating. That's interesting. Right? That, they're, yeah. They're both sports, but that's it. Now, on the one hand, as you shared with us a few moments ago, uh, we've been taught to ignore our money, not see our money, not to pay attention to our money. And at the same time, you've pointed out that people, uh, why have people taught to put themselves at the center of their money and investing? First of all, is there a conflict there? And second of all, what does that mean? If you put yourself in the eyes of the ocean and – the ocean and the stock market are closer than not. Yeah. Right. The ocean doesn't care about you at all. It doesn't care the year you were born. doesn't care how good you are at almost anything. The ocean does ocean. Yeah. Um, and so we should care more about what the stock market is doing. And we should care less. I mean, it's our money, right? We're, we're told we're the center of our universes, which is true, and it's up to us. And I'm not poo-pooing that. But when it comes to growing and protecting your money, we are not the main ingredient. And we're taught we're the main ingredient. Well, what year were you born? That's about you. Somehow, like the market cares that you were born in 1940 or 1950 or 1960. The market doesn't care. 
And so by making it about you, that's, that's like you turning your back to the ocean and closing your eyes and saying, well, I was born in 71. I mean, you know, I'm just going to get taken out every eight or nine years. Yeah. That's what the good looking people on the 10th floor at the brand name place say, and they're good looking and they're dressed nicer than me. So I don't know, I guess this is just how it's done. And I yeah. am, I am using that energy a little bit just to, just to, to let people know, like, that seemed, you wouldn't do that in any other area of your life. Imagine if you wanted to get married. So I'm going to get married. I'm going to close my eyes and never meet the person. Nope. I don't want to meet them. I don't want to see them. I don't want to hold their hand. I'm just going to all do it with information, but none of it visual, just words. Right? So let's say you're a guy and you want to meet a girl. Oh, she's brave and she's smart and intelligent and kind. Okay. Thank you for the words. And I need to see a picture. No, 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 yeah. no pictures. No pictures. No pictures. Oh, no, I, no, I really, I, I need to see. Oh, she's healthy. That's great. Thank you. I can flip it. A woman looking for a man. No, no, no. You don't get to see a picture of him. I, I just told you he's brave and healthy. Okay, but yeah. I want to I see a picture of him. Nope. Sorry. It, it would be absurd. Any dating app, what you have is six pictures of them in like nine words. Why? Because the brain sorts visually first. It's an initial sort. And yet we're taught to literally close our eyes. And imagine if you went to go find a partner and your first question was, were they born in 72 or 73? Someone would be like, uh, why, why does it matter? Well, I mean, I, I need to know the age matters, Right. And, yeah. and it, obviously the age matters. Like, I don't want to get, like, obviously the age matters to a point, but it's like, you don't ask that. You say, I want to see them. I want to meet them. I want to hold their hand. I want to talk to them. I want to see them. Yeah. We're taught to close our eyes and not, literally our brain was designed to see the thing attacking us, to see the thing that's okay. And the big box advising world and the pick of the month newsletter world has taught us to close our eyes. It's very, very expensive. Yeah. I can certainly, I can certainly see that. So uh, what else can you share with us about pictures and why they're best to filter out the hype and the noise in the world of money? And believe me, there is hype and noise in the world of money. Just turn on CNBC. You'll get hype and noise all day long. So our brain has to take words and what the brain does is it takes words and it actually creates images and sounds and gustatory feelings. This is what the brain and body does. So if I said to you, oh, my God, did you see what happened today? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Trump tweeted X, Y, Z. Oh, my God. Things are crashing. Uh -huh. Those are all words. Okay. But I'm willing to bet you probably thought you probably loaded up a picture of Trump. I didn't tell you to. Yeah. I just said a word Trump. Right. That could mean something else. I said tweet. You maybe looked at your phone visually. I said crash. Maybe you thought, oh, my gosh, am I going to be on the street? Am I going to eat cat food? Am I going to make it? Am I going to have to live in my kid's basement? But I guarantee you that your brain immediately and naturally started hitting your body with pictures. Now, a lot of this is happening unconsciously or unknowingly to our conscious brain. So we're like – uh, I, I guess it's time to get out. But what, what if I said the same thing to you? And we know the brain does this. We know the brain has to take words and 
turn them into pictures, sounds, and feelings. What if instead I said the same thing to you, right? Trump right. just treated, tweeted this, the market's crashing, you got to get out. And you were trained to go, got it. I'm feeling scared. I know the first step when I feel scared with my investments is to go look at this specific picture. So I can train someone literally in minutes to know what picture to look at and go, oh, oh, we're fine. Oh, oh, that's right. I got hit with 100 yeah. pictures about life not working out. I was trained to look at this picture to say, is it true? Is it true? Am I going to be e eating cat food on the street? Am I going to be living in my kid's basement? Oh, no, it's not. That's right. Because I just consciously put an image, a specific one, in front of my brain to say, am I okay? And it verifies in a way like, oh, I'm fine. Oh, gosh. XYZ News Channel just did that to me. And so eventually uh -huh. people just stop watching those noise channels and they train to they train their brain to go, oh, I know what picture to look at. I'm fine. And the stress and the angst and the overwhelm completely disappears from their life around investing in money. Yeah. And uh, then we also have to look at each person's own truth. I'm a believer, RC, and I've said this many times and it's caused people to look at me like I have three eyes and I just said the world is flat or something like that, that there's no such thing as the truth. There are facts that we can all view. And these facts can be scientifically proven. They can be verified. They can be demonstrated. They can be laid out in a way where we can say, yeah, that's the fact. However, each of us has our own truth. So imagine somebody said, oh, Trump tweeted and they get all excited like, MAGA, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the markets are going to rally again. So just saying that phrase right there could have a different impact depending on that person's own truth. Because sometimes uh, hearing that the president tweeted is a cause for celebration. Exactly. Like we don't know what the words are going to do to someone's brain. Right. We know words get translated into pictures sounds and feelings we know that so someone could get the i mean this happens all the time right two people hear the same words yeah and one goes oh, i have a chance and then person goes i have no chance it's because they loaded up different pictures sounds and feelings unknowingly to them and but and so their brains getting hijacked and look you know, Trump gets elected. Awesome. Move all my money in. Trump gets elected. Move all my money out. Yeah. Uh, okay. Why? Well, because like there's no way to verify. People have not been trained to verify what they believe is actually happening. Right. Right. They're like – and I've met a lot of people who when they learned – and I'm, I'm – you know, this is not a pro or not pro Trump, but right. people – People's brains get hijacked all the time unknowingly, and they do drastic things with their money, drastic yeah. things. And they go, gosh, life's just – life's tough. I mean – and it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, if you remember election night 2016 as the results were coming in, and I was at a uh, result-watching party, actually, and then there, the, there was a little ticker underneath one of the several different stations we were tuned into simultaneously, and it showed that all of a sudden the market started dropping. And for some folks, there was panic. Like, oh, wow, 
we weren't expecting it to go that way. But then you saw within a day or two, the market pretty much just came right back. And the one sentence way that some folks have described that to me is, well, they really thought that Clinton was going to win. So the money moved all the markets into technologies, industries, and opportunities that would fare well under Clinton's policies. But then when Trump, uh, you know, to the surprise of many, won, they yanked the money out and then put it into things that would make more sense under a Trump administration and its policies, especially when they saw the Republicans also got the House and the Senate. They thought, yeah, this is probably going to go a little bit different than we than we envisioned. Now, I can see all kinds of different reactions to that, one of which were would be people who wanted Trump to win, like, yes, we're going to do this. We're going to now we're going to do all this infrastructure, building bridges, building walls and all this other stuff. And there are some that might say, oh, this is the end of the world as we know it. And the entire economy is going to crash. Someone doesn't take my money and run. And then there's the third, which is kind of dispassionate, is that, well, well, the odds said one thing and then the reality turned out to be something else. So money never sleeps and we're going to go where the money's going to thrive. So to them, it was just a matter of uh, a better making a strategic move. And depending on our own truths, we could have one or more of those reactions simultaneously. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting about that night. And that, that was a great night from a behavioral point of view because U.S. markets had been closed for I don't know when the actual results come in, midnight, whatever, depending on which yeah. time zone you're in. But U.S. markets were closed. It was international markets that had the, uh-oh. But by the time U.S. markets opened again, I was like, oh, we'll go higher. Yeah. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's just a great example of if you make it about yourself and your own beliefs, it's, it's just a much rockier and much more difficult way to grow money because the market doesn't care about your age. And by the way, your money is saying, it's not about your age. It's either going up, down, or I don't know. Um, and to get trained to be like, wow, there's only three ways investments can go. The other thing that's interesting is if you think about it, there's about 500 million people who vote yeah. in, the, in the stock market, whether they vote directly or their advisor does or their pension does. But we're, we're at about a half a billion-ish people who vote. So a half a billion people got up the next day and said, eh, let's put a little bit more in. Yeah. It's not whether you liked it or didn't like it. A half a billion people get up each day and they vote. And yeah. to me, the stock market and the ocean, the ocean votes based on weather, and the stock market's based on collective votes. And when those 500 million-ish people start to go, you know – I'm just a little worried about the future or I'm a little more worried or I'm getting more and more worried. What they're going to start doing is taking some of their stock money and put it into something else, fixed income, cash, bonds. And if that happens too many days in a row, you have a shift in where these 500 million-ish people are putting their money. And by the way, that can be seen you can actually see the change in leadership between stocks and call it cash or bonds. You can, you can visually see that. Your brain go, oh, yeah, no, that was just noise. Nope, it's fine. You go, oh, wait a second. Something's changed or something's different. Those 500 million people, they're really starting to push more money into fixed income. And we saw this um, 
at the end of 07 and the beginning of 08, there was a huge shift. And since my clients were trained to see it, they're like, it's happening. I said, I know, but no one's talking about it. I'm like, not yet. They will. But they got out because they were trained to see what was happening before it became the acceptable belief. And by the time it becomes the acceptable belief of the crowd individually, it's too late. Um, yeah. But they had, to, they had to kind of be the loners for a while and get made fun of by their friends or their friends got, well, I'm really concerned that you're all in cash and you're 40 years old. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then, you know, nine months later, Lehman Brothers, largest U.S. bankruptcy in history happens uh -huh. and they've been out of the market for eight months. Yeah. But again, you get back to beliefs and their friends go, oh, you were so lucky. You go, it wasn't really luck. I just, I was trained to look, you know, I was trained right. to have my eyes open when I grow my money. So right. That's and, weird language, but yes. Yeah. And some, and some of the f those folks may have seen there's a big bubble that's going to burst and cash will more or less remain cash, all inflationary or deflationary considerations in place. But if something like Lehman Brothers crashes, then, wow, there goes all my money because it's just gone at that point. And here's something that's really interesting that most people don't know. Bonds went very crazy, very, very crazy during the Lehman Brothers crash. Everything, everything during that one-week period, it was actually about a month, everything was tanking except cash. Yeah. And most people don't think of cash as an investment. Like I train my clients to use specific words and languages because words create worlds. Like they're, they're not allowed to say set aside. Like if they say, hey, I have $200,000 and I've invested in US dollar. I'm like, oh, okay, great. But they're trained not to say, oh, I have my money set aside. You can't, right. There's no such thing as set aside because the US dollar is an asset and we know its long-term growth is negative 3% a year. There's no opinion about it. It's been losing 3% a year forever. So it's like, yeah, RC, I invested X dollars in the US dollar because of this. It's like, okay, great. That language puts you in control of your future rather than saying, well, I'm opting out. You can't opt out because your money is always at all times invested. Right. Those, um, yeah, and you, know, you think about it, it's, that that's very true. Money actually does depreciate. So again, it has different meanings to different people. So tell us a little bit more, and we're about two thirds of the way through here. Uh, how, what else is there do we need to know about how words are keeping us poor? Because, because we've never been trained how the brain really works. So when you introduced me, you talked about me being a master neuro linguistic programmer. I mean, first of all, NLP is a very weird set of letters and it, it, it means something different to other people. And there's a lot of people who take weekend courses to get air quotes trained. But what, what NLP is really about is understanding how the brain is programmed. And the, the brain can only be programmed only a few ways. You can program it with words. You can program it with pictures or you can program it with experiences, right? So take someone who has PTSD, right? How, how, how did their brain get PTSD'd 
they either saw something, experienced something, or heard something, and it changes the software of the brain. Okay, so if you don't understand how the brain software works, and again, it works with teach people words, or have them look at things, or have them hear things, but let's just stick with the words thing. Words have to get translated into, and, and, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, they have to get translated into what's that feeling, right? What does that look like? Now, the brain doesn't use the words, but they're like, does it have a picture that goes with it? Then it must have a sound. Then it must have a feeling. It's going to have one of those three, if, if not all three. So let's say I, I train you to say, hey, RC, I transferred $2,000 to my future this month. Okay, well, that's very different than you being taught to save some money. Because the brain doesn't really get saved. It doesn't get save. But for some reason, transfer. Okay, that means I moved it somewhere. Where did I move it? Okay, future. Future is a little weird for the brain, but not so much because the brain can think, um, you know, months, you know, not years, but it goes, oh, you moved it into my future. Now I have a prefrontal lobe and it's pretty big. So I get that you moved it to my last third of my life. So you've transferred it to that part of your life. That's a much different experience than me saying save some money. Because if I tell yeah. you, or if I, if, I, if I train you to use the word transfer, your brain starts to go, well, at 60 years old or at 50 years old, I've transferred it into the future to that. And I want to do this. So I want something to support my choices. It's a very different experience. Because a lot of times people, what they'll do is what's not spent in their checking account or their savings account each month, they consider saved. And it's not. It's future spent. It's just going to be spent. So a small example of why words matter is I've never trained someone to save, but I've trained them to say the word transfer. And if you don't mind, can I just, I just want to give yes. one more. Go ahead. Um, so another word no one's allowed to use. And I, I, sometimes I don't know how this sounds like, oh, he's telling people what to say and not to say, like, sounds kind of weird. It is weird. And the results are really weird. But there's another phrase that no one's allowed to say. And it, the, the phrase is, I'm busy. Not allowed. And whenever I hear that phrase, I go, okay, so let's, let's figure out what it really is. Because there's no such thing called, I'm busy. Um, and if I, I take them through this step, like if you had to change out the words, I'm busy to, I'm feeling mad, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling glad, or I'm feeling afraid. Let's just say I forced you to say one of those four sentences. Okay. Okay. Well, most likely it's not going to be, I'm feeling glad. Like if people, and, and I'm not saying this has to happen, but if it's like, I'm so busy, I have no time to do this. It's like, well, is it because you're feeling afraid to talk to your boss that you don't want to work nights? Is it because you're feeling afraid that you have to, like, all things come back to feelings. And if you eliminate the phrase, I'm busy, which is, a, which is almost all the time a way of saying, I'm scared, I'm feeling scared, and you make them change the phrase, I'm busy. And I've done this with training clients, and it absolutely changes their entire world. They'll find one or two people in their life where they'll say, if you ever hear me say I'm busy, just go, 
um, do you mean you're feeling scared? All right. And then when they, and then, and then they repeat themselves, right. And say, okay, thank you. We're in this agreement where if you hear me say I'm busy, I say I'm feeling scared. And so what happens is they stop using the phrase I'm busy and they start using the phrase I'm feeling scared to go see a movie tonight with you. Okay. What are you feeling scared about? Well, I don't want to tell my boss that I don't want to work nights anymore because I'm scared that I'll get fired. Oh, so what you're not really busy. You're just feeling scared. And by the way, I'm not diminishing people who have, who use the word, but I'm giving an example where by changing I'm busy to I'm scared transforms people's lives. Yeah. I mean, absolutely transforms their lives. Yeah, that this is actually one of the principles of my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, making very, very subtle changes to the words we use can break down barriers, create agreements, create feelings. And it's all just sometimes looking at the programming. One of the examples I use is we're taught to say, so, so RC, uh, Investing in the stock market is usually a pretty safe and conventional way to grow your wealth. Wouldn't you agree? So somebody may, so those folks that uh, were in cash because they saw Lehman Brothers coming would definitely not agree. However, if you, and, and they'll put up resistance and they may discount the value of anything else you say. It'll create a conflict, a disagreement, an argument. Whereas if you were to say, I agree that having money in the stock market is a great way to grow your wealth, then somebody can say, oh, okay, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, and I, and, and I would actually say, um, can you show me that, please? Okay. Like I would, I would – I wouldn't do this with someone because these conversations go sideways because no one's really trained to think visually. Right. Um, but I would say, okay, what are the pros and what are the cons? And please show it to me visually. Right. And they would be forced to say, well, if you have your money invest in the stock market, historically there's 50% drops every nine years. I say, okay, so could you understand how someone may not want half of their money to go away if they're 65? Yeah, I can understand that. Okay. Now, People are not trained to move their money out of the stock market before it does these 50% falls. Um, and so some of my training clients back in 07, 08 got ridiculed by their air quotes friends by having yeah. their money in cash as they were in their early 40s. And one thing I train my clients to do is to never defend. Never defend your position. Because what happens is you train yourself to care about your position. And it's a subtle and weird nuance, but the goal is to not care. I'll say it differently. The goal is to be unattached. Of course, if you have a million dollars and it's in the S&P 500, you, of course, will have some caring (laughs) because that's where your money is. But if you cannot care how long it's in for and say, yeah, one day – I'm going to move it out because I'm going to see those 500 million voters say, yeah, you're not going to go up for a while. And if they're unattached to where it is, but they're attached to just making sure it's in an asset that's trending higher, then they can be like, yeah, it's fine that 
you think I'm dumb that my money right now is invested in U.S. dollars. I, and, but being trained to not defend, because as soon as you defend, you start marrying the thing. You start building a relationship with it. And what I want people to do is build a relationship with humans and their dogs, right? Uh-huh. And, and not the ticker symbol they own or not the asset they own, right? If anything, I want them to marry and, and really connect with the approach, but not the actual symbol. Right. Okay, so we have about 10 minutes left here, and I want to spend maybe five minutes on one other question that comes to mind. I myself can see this because I'm trained in this area as well. Uh, you being a master NLP practitioner, that's neuro linguistic programming, and we touched a little bit, you know, for our listeners, a few moments ago, we touched on NLP just a moment ago when we looked at how we can shift words to create new feelings and open new avenues of dialogue. How has your mastery of NLP influenced your work? Our feelings precede our actions. So if you were born into a family of thieves, okay, the kid, or let me just say it differently, a kid who's born into a family of thieves, if that kid does not steal, he or she does not belong to that family. And there's only two things kids cannot tolerate in life. There's only two things kids cannot tolerate. Kids cannot tolerate not belonging, meaning they will do what they need to do to belong to their biological parents. The other thing kids cannot tolerate is knowing the rules. This is why permissive parenting is much more um, dangerous or bad than parents who are strict but consistent. A strict, consistent parent is going to have a much happier kid. So NLP teaches us that, okay, well, if you were programmed to be a thief unknowingly and you don't want to be, that's going to be really tough. Now, let's take thief away. If you grew up in a county called life is a struggle and I will just only ever have just enough, and let's say one day you get enough or more than enough, your software will find a way to get rid of your money so you can go back emotionally to not enough. Maybe it's losing your money in the stock market. Maybe it's your third divorce. Maybe it's buying some sort of black box, illiquid investment that you're buying it because you like the person who's selling it to you. But your brain naturally goes back to what it can survive. So, by knowing and understanding how the brain's software works, you can actually literally dial down the relationship you have with that. And the way to do it is actually pretty simple. Like we all have an experience of what something is. And literally I can ha- ask someone like, so when you have that experience, is it like a still picture or a movie? And I'm asking them to not think about it, but just to say, oh, it's a movie. Great. Is it color or black and white? Oh, it's black and white. So it's a black and white movie. So when I say to you, put all of your money in, I just make something up. Put all of your money in X, Y, Z. What happens? Oh, the movie starts playing. Okay. Um, Does the movie have sound? Yes. So it's a black and white movie that has sound. Okay. So just real quickly, I can just say to them, can you make it color? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, it doesn't have the hold on me. Like the software just got changed. Can you turn the volume down and have everybody use sign language? Yeah. Okay. Now tell me it's color and sign language. Oh, wait a second. 
it loses the grip on them. So by understanding how to reprogram our software, people can start to shift the way they actually behave simply by changing a modality, something super simple. And our money and our health and our relationships, they're just expressions of how our software was made. And my platform just happens to be money and wealth to help people get the lives they want. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really, really good. So we're basically uh, at the top here. And what I wanted to do is I know that we have some listeners who are definitely leaning into this one, who have discovered that there is so much power and how you can use the power uh, or the authority that comes with pictures, how you use your words, how you use your language, how you look introspectively, introspectively and extrospectively at yourself and at the world to realign your relationship with money and move towards fearless wealth. So I'm very happy to know, let you know that I'm purchasing a copy of your book, Fearless Wealth. It's going to be a great addition to my library, and I'm looking forward to reading it. And you have a couple other things for our listeners who may be interested in taking this to the next step. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the most unreasonable thing I can say is if people are starting to notice that their big box advisor just can't help them or the pick of the month newsletters that they have are actually creating the angst and overwhelm, then my unreasonable step is that we speak on the phone for 10 to 15 minutes to find out, because I want to find out what's in their blind spot to see if training can work for them. And it does absolutely not work for everyone. So in answering your question, the most unreasonable thing I can say is you go to Fearless Wealth and you get on my calendar and it's unreasonable because people don't want to talk about their money, especially with someone that they don't know. But what happens is it moves them to the front of the line. And if someone is unreasonable in the sense of, well, I'll, I'll speak openly about my money, then it says there's a level of trainability in them, meaning, okay, there's something there. And, it, and I know in doing this for over 20 years that asking someone to get on the phone sounds weird maybe creepy, maybe like there's going to be a sales pitch. So there's many reasons why they'd want to say no. And that's why it's so unreasonable. And yet people want unreasonable experiences in their life and they're not willing to do the unreasonable. They want to go, I want to stay reasonable. I want to do what I've been doing, but I want to have a different experience. And you know what? We all know how that works. So my, my answer to is I'm going to be unreasonable. And I think you should be a little unreasonable too. And from that, great things can happen. That is probably the most interesting approach I've ever seen to that topic in my life. And I would urge all of our listeners, take RC Peck up on that offer. You have no idea at this point exactly what you're going to discover. But if you can begin to see yourself viewing money and viewing wealth in a new way, just from listening to what we've shared over the past 55 minutes, then do you owe it to yourself at this time to hear what RC has to say to you for 15 minutes and find out if that could take you in a new direction. 
that would be my question to the audience. So again, your website is fearlesswealth.com. And I know that there are some trainings there. Uh, there are some opportunities to get insights and some other valuable tools and resources that people can check out there. So if you haven't visited the website yet, if you haven't opened that separate browser tab, be sure to do that now. And RC Peck, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It has been an honor and believe me in education. Thanks so much for having me. I really uh, I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. And for our listeners, we trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to your favorite network so you get fresh episodes like the one you just heard delivered straight to you so you can go back, listen again, capture those aha moments and view the material from a different place in your current perspective that will give you insights that you're not even seeing now. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.